Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you. Enjoy. Just a few things that we have coming up in this series. But today, we're going to start with the first one, which is how to spot a Christian. How to spot a Christian. We all have ideas of this, right? And then we start asking ourselves the question. We're like, well, how do you spot a Christian? What does a Christian look like? What do they sound like? What does a Christian say? What do they do? Where do they go? Where do they not go? Who do they support? Who are they against? What are they protesting? We have just started. We are two minutes in to the sermon, and already we have more questions than answers, right? Because we live in a world right now where this is a big topic, and a lot of people are asking this question. How do you spot a Christian? And it ends up actually, instead of being a really easy thing to answer, because as soon as we start to define who a Christian is, it also helps us to then determine, maybe accidentally, who a Christian is not. And we find ourselves in this very binary, black and white, divided Christianity. Just in case you were unaware of this, let me give you just a couple examples from the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago was the Grammys. This is a music award show. If you've never seen the Grammys, it's not typically, you know, a Christian, uh, really infiltrated award show, but they talk about pop culture and they recognize artists and music. And our friend Brandon Lake was there with Maverick City and they won four Grammys at the Grammys as a Christian band, this Christian group. But here's what happened. I am all over social media, in case you did not know. I also follow not just any, not anyone, but a lot of different people. I like my feed to be very diverse because I want to know what is happening and what are people thinking that maybe are not thinking like me. So here's how my feed looked after the Grammys. Half of Christians were like, this is amazing. This is so exciting that we've got this Christian group there. They're being recognized. They're infiltrating. They're in. They're going into this very secular thing. It's awesome. And then over here, we had another group of Christians that were like, how dare they? How dare they show up at an award show? How dare they go to the Grammys where another artist was dressed up like Satan to perform one of his songs? Christians and Christians. Then a week later, we had the Super Bowl. And in the Super Bowl, there were two commercials, two ads that were put out by a faith-based organization. And over here, we had a bunch of Christians saying, this is amazing, amazing. We've got this football game that so many people are watching. Thousands, probably millions of people are gonna be exposed. They're gonna see and hear the name of Jesus in the middle of a football game when they're like doing all kinds of drinking and eating and debauchery, so great. The other side of Christians, how dare they? How dare they use that money and not use it for something better? This is not the right way to evangelize. This is not the right way to tell people about Jesus. And the people who funded these commercials are the wrong kind of Christian. 
I'm not telling you where I land on any of these, by the way. I just want you to know that there are two sides. Even right now, for the past, I don't know, week or maybe longer, there's been a revival happening at Asbury Chapel in Kentucky. There are Gen Z and thousands of people showing up for this service that has lasted for days, worshiping and prayer and so many things happening. And half of Christian is like, that's so amazing. Look at all the lives that are being changed. Not only are thousands of people coming and they're seeing God move and the work of the Holy Spirit, but because of social media and the news, these very secular, toxic, typically places, millions, even more people are seeing the work of God because it's being talked about and it's being spread around. <laughs> how dare they? This is not how our revival works. This is not what it's supposed to look like. The other half of Christians are so filled with cynicism and skepticism that they're like, none of it is even real. This is all terrible. Again, not telling you which side to land on any of these, but it's very, very important that we recognize how divided Christianity can be. And then to further complicate things, what if you're like, wow, either I didn't know about all that or I'm really glad you're talking about it because I've been conflicted. What if you're supportive of one of these things but not the other one? Then what does that say about your Christianity? Then what does that say? Are you on the wrong side? Are you on the right side? Which side are we supposed to be on? We need to know how to spot a Christian because no matter which side you're on, I promise you, there is someone on the other side telling you that you're doing it wrong, and I want you to be confident in your decision. I want you to be confident in knowing who you are and what you believe. So I was reading a book this week that I relied on heavily in my past life. I am a teaching pastor here now, but for 12 years, I was in the classroom. I was very immersed in education. I got my master's in, in reading education. I taught kindergarten. And I was reminded about a book that I really think is going to help us answer this question today about how to spot a Christian. And it's this book, Where's Waldo? Anybody remember Where's Waldo? Yes. Yes, from childhood, right? So Waldo, I think, is going to help us know how to spot a Christian. This is him. He's right here. And typically, this is what it looks like on the pages is Waldo is actually hiding in plain sight. The fun of finding Waldo is not that he's like tucked away behind something. He's actually hiding there right in plain sight, but the world around him is so chaotic. That's what makes him hard to find. That's what makes him hard to find. So Waldo is going to be our spiritual guide today as we try to figure out how to spot a Christian. See, Waldo sticks with us. As soon as you saw this book, some of you would like took you to another place, right? Because we know there are things that stick with us from childhood. And that's why answering this question is so important. Because some of you go back to being a child and you were like, all right, well, I grew up in the church or I had Christian parents or I thought I knew what it was supposed to look like or who I was supposed to look to to know how to spot a Christian. And now my faith is messed up. Or I thought that person was a Christian and then they did that thing. And so these things are not aligning for you. Some of us parents are going, hey, yes, we want to raise our kids in the faith. We want to raise our kids as Christians. And we don't know how to do it. We only know what not to do. Maybe because that's how we were raised or the things that we experienced. So let's not send our kids to therapy for that. Let's let them go to therapy for other reasons, 
But let's figure this out now. We have to do the hard work. Another thing from my childhood that really stuck with me was this idea of being in the world and not of it. Anybody familiar with that concept, be in the world and not of it? This is one of the things that formed my faith when I was growing up. John 17, this is just one of the passages that was used. It says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Verses like this formed my faith. They formed my faith. They, dis- they defined for me what a Christian was supposed to look like. And this was my first experience of that divided Christianity because it was very clear that there were two sides. You're going to be in, are you going to be in the world or of it? Are you going to do this or not? There is a right and a wrong, and there is a right and a wrong. And the answer was, do not be of this world. This is how I grew up. So to me, what that meant was, if I'm not supposed to be of the world, if one of the most important things about being a Christian is that everyone knows that I'm a Christian, before they know my name, before they know what I'm about, before they know my favorite color, anything. They need to know that I'm a Christian. There was only one answer that I could come to, and that was Christian t-shirts. You guys remember like in the 90s, like logos were a big deal. So maybe you had one that had like the Burger King logo. Mine said, Jesus is king. Okay. Maybe like Crest toothpaste. I had that one. Didn't say Crest. Guess what it said? Christ. Then they got real good. You know, then like all the athletic stuff, athletic stuff. You can tell I'm a sports person. All the athletic brands started to get big, you know, Nike and all this. And instead of Adidas, I had one with the Adidas logo, but it said, addicted to Jesus. (laughs) Guys, I wish I was kidding. I am not. I am not kidding. Now as an adult, we know that it's deeper than that, right? We know it's about more than wearing a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. This is a deeper thing than knowing who to support and who to be against. But the world is watching right now with all of these examples and so many more. The world is watching and the world is asking the question, how do we spot a Christian? We have got to reclaim what it means to be a Christian so that we don't continue to perpetuate this Um, poor depiction that is out there and let other people fill in for us what it means and what it looks like. So let's see what Jesus has to say about it. In one of his most famous sermons in Sermon on the Mount, he says this in Matthew, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So you are salt. That is the first thing. You are salt. You are seasoning. You are meant to enhance and to add flavor, to add spice, to change the world around you. And he goes on. And you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So also, you are light. You are meant to shine. You are meant to light up dark places. You are not meant to hide away. So you are both. You are both salt 
and light. You are salty and lit. Say, see, listen, I'm gonna have to, once again, we have a divided group. Let me explain. Some of you are laughing because you know that salty and lit have both very different meanings than what we're gonna use them for today. But I like it and that's what we're gonna stick with. And when you walk away from this morning, I want you to understand I need to be salty and lit, okay? Okay. See, light is easy. I think we have a, a, a more general understanding of what it means to be light. We understand like, a visual picture even of like a light in a dark space and what that looks like. But salt is trickier. Salt is a little bit trickier because salt blends in. Salt is hidden, much like Waldo. Salt hides in plain sight. Like you can't see it, but you know it's there. And you never question its, its existence. You know immediately if salt is present in something or if it's absent. How? Because you can taste it, right? It changes the flavor. Now, if you can taste only salt, if you are salty that way, that is not good. But what salt is meant to do is to blend in and enhance and make everything around it better. Saltiness changes everything around it with its presence. And that is what Jesus is telling us to do. He's like, hey, if you lose your saltiness, your faith, in a sense, is worthless. Like, it's good for nothing. I intended you to be like this on purpose. And not only for you, not only are you going to feel the effects of, of being bland, if you will, but the people around you are going to be worse off for it too. You are meant to be salt and to enhance the lives and the people and the world around you. So after Jesus leaves, you know, Jesus um, ascended up into heaven. Well, let me back up further. Maybe you don't know. So Jesus died on a cross. Jesus died on a cross. He was actually put on that cross. Jesus was killed. This is a whole, I can go on so many other different sermons right now. Anyways, he came back to life. God brought him back to life. He hung out with the disciples, freaked him out a little bit, and then told them some things. And then he went back to heaven. He went to heaven. After this happens, he was like, hey, when I leave, I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, all kind of one very complicated thing. He was like, I'm going to spend the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send my power to you. Use it. And so in Acts, this is what we actually get to see. The disciples are living this out. So they're using the power of the Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit, to teach people. They're healing people. They're starting to gather people together and start to form the early church. And so the story we're going to look at today is really focused on Peter and John. And they have been thrown in jail by the Sadducees, who are the religious leaders of their time, because they did not believe in life after death. They did not believe in any of these things that Peter and John were out there teaching. So they didn't like that. And what they really didn't like is that people were actually listening. People were paying attention. In this particular account, it said that 5,000 men believed because of what they were saying. And if we somehow could find the numbers of women and children to add to that tally, we would know that's actually even more than that. So we're going to pick it up with their little rendezvous in jail here in Acts 4. It says, The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? And they're talking specifically about the healing of a man that had just taken place. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, 
are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for our crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So we get a glimpse here. We get a glimpse in Peter's monologue of what it looks like to be salty. And I think actually what it looks like to be salty by both definitions, if we really look at what Peter is saying here as he breaks it down. And he talks about three things. He says, first, do good. We did good. We did good. We saw someone that had been overlooked. We saw someone who had been ostracized by their community for years and years and years. And we let love lead us to compassion and we healed him. That's what we did. We did good. And you want to know how we did this? And this is where Peter gets a little extra salty and I kind of love it. He's like, you want to know how? Remember that guy that you crucified? And God was like, nope, not today. Actually, biblically, I guess God was like, nope, not three days later. <laughs> Close enough. It doesn't read on a t-shirt as good, you know? So he's like, yeah, remember that? Remember you guys did this? This, it's in his name. It's in the power of the name of Jesus that we were able to heal him. Which, by the way, again, this power is available to all people. It's available to all people. Remember, he is talking to the religious leaders of the time. He's like, Jesus came for everyone. Jesus said that everyone can experience this kind of power. So not only are we going to live it out, but we're going to make sure that everybody knows it's not just for the holy and righteous few. And I picture Peter like in a rap battle, right? Like he just dropped all the things and then he's like, drop the mic, your turn, let's go. See what happens. And so let's see what happens. And verse 13 the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. And so maybe this was their response. They're like, you unschooled, ordinary men. So that's what they were, right? And I love this. If you ever think that God can't use you because you're ordinary or you're not special or you're not trained or you didn't go to seminary or you don't have any kind of degree at all or you're not even really like a great representative of Christ, it's okay. God can still use you. I want you to remember this verse. Anything that you think that you're lacking is not a disqualification in God's eyes. Anything you think you're lacking is not a disqualification when it comes to God. These were unschooled, ordinary men. And on the flip side, that also means that we can just be ordinary. It means that we don't have to prove ourselves that we don't have to be special, that we don't have to live in a way that says, look how holy I am, look how righteous I am, look how big my faith is, look at all of the knowledge that I have, look at how smart I am, look at all of the things that I've done, listen to my experiences. We can just be ordinary. It's God's power 
that is going to work through us. It is not our showiness and the things that we can prove to other people. That's how the Holy Spirit's power actually can be on display. Then people will recognize us as people who have been with Jesus. So the council gets together. They, they tell Peter and John to go away so they can talk about them. And they're like, all right, what are we going to do? Everyone knows who these people are. Everyone knows what they're doing. And in fact, that it's working because we're seeing it happen. We're seeing people be saved. We're peeing, seeing people be healed. And so we have to stop this movement from going forward. What are we going to do? So I get Peter and John back and they're like, listen, you're cool. We're going to let you go. We're going to release you from the jail. Just stop talking about Jesus. Cool. Like, can you just stop? Like, just stop with all the Jesus stuff. Peter's like, where's that mic? Let me pick it back up again. So here's what I'm going to say to that. And Peter responds, do you, religious leaders, think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Peter and John were definitely spotted as Christians. Everyone recognized them. The people that were being saved recognized them as Christians. The people that were being healed recognized them as Christians. The religious leaders, it says everyone recognize them as Christians because they showed us what it looks like to be salty and lit. They showed us what it looks like to do good in Jesus's name for all people. So how does that apply to us today? How can we take this and apply it to our own lives? First, we need to be salty. You need to be salty. Say, be salty. Be salty. And by being salty, you need to make things better. That's the definition of salty we're going to go with today. Make things better. It doesn't mean that you have to stand out. Maybe like salt, it's actually better if you do blend in a little bit. If you're just there, hidden. But make things better. In the way that you see the unseen. In the way that you talk to people. And yes, when I say talk to people, I mean in conversation with your coworkers, with your spouse, with your kids. I also mean online. When you type something on the internet to another person, hundreds of other people will read that. Hundreds of other people will also be reading that. So if we start to react, I think this is a big thing that Christians need to understand, especially when it comes to being salty. There's a big difference between reacting and responding. When we react and we jump in, just like someone else maybe is being salty with us, which by the millennial definition is to get super upset, you get all worked up and have your feelings hurt over maybe something minor. When we jump in with salty, being salty like that, we are, we are not being set apart. Does that make sense? We are not showing the world, hey, this is actually a different way to respond. This is a different way to handle things. This is a different way to have conflict. We are just reflecting back to them the same exact behaviors that they are already doing. So then when we say, hey, in Jesus' name, it doesn't mean anything. We have to reclaim what this means. And when we use in Jesus' name, 
We mean it. We mean because we're going to take the power of the Holy Spirit to work differently in your life. Using Jesus's name is not a platitude. It's not a little spiritual band-aid. It's also not a way that we control people to say, well, Jesus said this, or Jesus told me to do this. We also are not intended to use Jesus or prayer or any of this other stuff as just a backhanded way to sneakily be salty and get back at other people. I'll pray for you, friends, means you're gonna pray for them. It's not a, it's not a Christian way to like backhanded compliment somebody or to get back at them. We have to show up in the world with a different definition of salty, to show people when we say we live differently, then we actually live differently. We actually speak to people differently. Instead of reacting out of anger or some other emotion, we stop and we pause and we think and we let the Holy Spirit work through us so that we can respond instead of react. We have to live in such a way that if you're not there, people notice. People notice because your presence is missing, because the presence of the Holy Spirit is missing. Be salty, make things better. The other thing that we can do is be lit. Say, be lit and be lit. We're gonna illuminate the goodness of God that you found in Jesus. That's how we are going to be lit. Tell people about the hope that you have. Talk to people. Tell people that, do people know that you go to church? Do they know that you're a Christian? Do they know that your life has been changed because of a relationship with Jesus? We can be light in the darkness just by being available and speaking light and life and bringing hope into people's situations. You all know somebody who right now, they feel like they are in darkness in their life. Whether it's despair, depression, even just a hard, weird season, you can meet their needs. You can be light in their darkness. And that does not mean that you have to take on all of their needs. That doesn't mean that you have to take on all of their stuff. Their happiness is not your responsibility. But you can show up. You can be available. You can say, I'm here for you. I am one text away. You can be light in their darkness. Also, talking about your faith does not mean starting your conversations with, well, if only you would come back to church. Or if only you knew Jesus, how make everything better. No, rely on the goodness of God. Again, our words are not empty words. Our words have meaning when they show up with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to say, hey, this is how it's different. This is how I actually found true hope. The only way to be salt and light in people's lives is to be in their lives. So remember that passage, the first one I read you in John, the one that was used to teach me to be in the world, but not of it. I actually went back this week and read it for myself. Instead of just like reading the words on the page, I dug a little deeper, found some context. And so I'm going to read it to you one more time. It says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer, this is Jesus my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. My study Bible that I was reading from said that Jesus was probably actually referring to a specific group of people here. 
There was a religious sect, a Jewish sect called the Essenes, who believed that they were the elect people, that they had um, following Jesus right. They had faith right. They knew the right way to do it. So they actually believed that they were so holy and better than everyone else that they removed themselves away from society and they went and lived in caves because they were like, nobody else is doing it right. You're doing it wrong. Your faith is not good enough. Only we know the right way to be a Christian in a sense. So they went off and they lived and they moved away. They had their own culture. They had their own practices. They had their own spiritual writings and they lived these holy lives in seclusion. And it seems like Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Don't do that. That's not what I'm telling you to do. Don't do that. When he prays, he doesn't ask God to make us separate. He doesn't say, God, please take them out of this world. Please remove them from all other people. He asks for our protection while we're here because here is where we are, because here is where God put us. We are in this world for a reason. If it was God's intention that everybody became a Christian and then went to live in a whole separate place, he would have created that. There would be a happy little bubble where the second that we accept and receive Jesus, we would be plucked out and taken to another place where we can sing songs and quote scripture to each other. And there's Christian t-shirts as far as the eye can see. And we would just live in a little bubble. But that's not what happened because that's not God's plan. We are here because this is where God put us. He put us in this world. And we are not of this world. We are not manufactured, man-made robots of this world. But we are in this world. Almost like God knew how crazy it was going to get down here. And he was like, you know what? The people that I want, my followers, my sons and daughters, I want them smack dab in the middle of it so they can light it up when the world goes on fire. That's why we're here. He put us here with the same power that the disciples had to do good in Jesus's name for all people. And sometimes, friends, it's not clear. Sometimes it's not clear. It would be easier if there was a right and a wrong way always. It would be easier if there were a very clear division of two camps and we knew that we were the right kind of Christians and that everybody else was wrong. That would be easier, but we're not. And this is where discernment comes in. I don't think it's always that clear cut. This is where the discernment comes in and we have to listen to the Holy Spirit in our own lives. You know, a lot of times, I know growing up for me, and I know it's the same for some of the youth now, it's that question, right, when you're a teenager of like, but where is the line? Like, what can I do? Is this a sin? Well, what if, it, what if it's here? Is this a sin? Is this a sin? Is this okay? Okay, what if I back it up a little bit? And we want to know where the line is. What we're really asking for is that dividing line. Tell me what's right and tell me what's wrong. It's not always that simple but we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us and we can listen and we can trust that voice. But the more I get to know Jesus, the more I learn that following him is not about choosing the right side. It's about doing what I can to follow him and become more and more like him, to stop focusing on which side of the line that I'm on and just put my eyes on him. There's a lot more color in Jesus 
than the black and white binary world that we try to box him into. So much more. So what does it look like for you? Maybe for you, you need to ask yourself, okay, am I actually doing good? Am I doing good or am I just talking a lot about it? Or maybe for you, you are doing good, but you need to give Jesus some more credit. Maybe you're doing good because you are a good person, but you're missing that element of the supernatural. You're missing the Holy Spirit's power working in you. And if you are, that's okay, but think about how much more you could do, how much more good you could do, how many more people you could reach if you relied on the power of the Holy Spirit instead of just the good that you can control and do. Maybe for you, as you've been sitting here, you're like, oh shoot, I think I'm on one of these sides. And you find yourself on one of these Christian sides. And if you're not sure, it's a really, it's a hard question, but it's a simple one to just ask yourself, can I think of Christians, can I bring people to mind that I would say are doing it wrong? Can I think of Christians that are on the wrong side? And if you can, and I'm not judging you, but that means that there is some kind of line in your brain of going, I'm doing it the right way, and they're not. So maybe if that's you, God is just calling you to put your eyes, take your eyes off of them and put them back on him, just to focus back on him. Maybe for some of you, what you need to do is just come back to the world that you're actually living in. And instead of letting fear tell you that culture is bad and pop culture is super bad and that we have to be away from all of these things and that we have to be holy and removed and set apart, you just have to come back to the world that you're actually in and be relatable to the people that are around you. You know, the Essenes, that group that went and lived in caves, they had their own spiritual writings and they didn't get canonized and put in the Bible. And I can't help but wonder if it's because they were so unrelatable to everybody else that it negated anything good that they had to say because they no longer were applicable. They were no longer helpful living in the real world as Christians were meant to be. I think for all of us, if we want to be people that are recognized as being with Jesus, we have to stop worrying so much about spotting other Christians. Instead of using our energy to gatekeep salvation and decide who gets to be in and who gets to be out, maybe we can trust God to figure that out. Maybe we can leave that to him because Jesus did say that he came for all of us. And so instead, we can reclaim what it means to be a Christian by living lives that are salty and lit, doing good for all people in Jesus' name. Will you stand with me as we close? I want to tell you one more thing that we can learn here from my guy, Waldo. See, as he was going along the journey, his spiritual journey, if you will, it's a Christianese word that people like to use. As he's going on his journey, he's, you start to notice something else if you look closely. And it's that there is this group of people who all start to show up, more and more of them as you go through the page and you start to see them pop up. And all of these people who look like Waldo and reflect him, and they start to follow him through the world and they start to just kind of come along and he's collecting these people. And as you look through the pages, they're not all hunkered together in a group. They're not clumped together. They're also not out on the outskirts. But if you, as you flip through, they're everywhere. They're all spread out. They're, they're infiltrating through whatever the world is, whether it's dragons or giants 
or vampires. I mean, even the very scary places, right? And then at the end, not only do we have this whole collection of Waldos, of people that he has influenced and inspired to come along, but if you look, he's also collected people that are not like him. Every place that he went, every journey that he went on, he collected someone who was not like him and said, hey, guess what? Come with me, there's another way. Come with me, there's another way. Let me show you how I live. And you don't have to look like me. You don't have to wear this uniform. But I want you to understand that there is a different way to live. There's a different way to be. And all you have to do is come with me. And I think this is what we're called to. I think this is what God wants for us. That we would stand out while we're blending in at the exact same time. That we would be salty and lit in such a way that we inspire people around us to leave their old world and follow us into a new life. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for, God, just your presence, Lord, for being here. God, we thank you that you are just as available to us as you were to Peter and John. And God, not just that you're available, but that you want to be with us. God, that you desire to be with us. You love us just the same as you love those ordinary, unschooled men. So God, I thank you that your goodness doesn't change. And that even as we go through this world and we look at Christianity and it seems like every time we have it figured out, it shifts. God, we thank you that you are unchanging. And so Lord, I pray as we go out, not just this week, not just while the, your words, God, are fresh on our minds, Lord, but that this would be a turning point for some of us where we would reclaim what it means to be a Christian, that we would stop shying away from that term. God, because it does mean something. And for those of us, God, that love you and want this life with you, God, we are called to represent you. And so Lord, I pray that your power, God, that the power of the Holy Spirit would just fill our spirits and our minds. God, that we wouldn't have to worry about saying the right thing or doing the right thing. We would just have to trust you. We don't even have to trust ourselves. God, we just have to trust your power. Would you help us to do that? And God, for anybody that's like, I don't know this God. I don't know this Jesus who died and I don't really understand it, but I just keep being drawn back to him. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in such a mighty way. God, show them that your power is real and that life can be different. And that it's not gonna be what they see other Christians doing necessarily, God. But that it also doesn't matter because you want to work in their lives so personally. God, that that's the only relationship that they need to worry about. The only Christian that they need to worry about spotting is, is themselves. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.